I ask intentional questions of other people to help them work through their why and work through their identity. But I think I've also started to be better at asking intentional questions of the Lord and asking him where he wants me and how long he wants me and what conversations to even enter into. So I think that my journey started with asking intentional questions of other people that I met just to get to know them, but I think it's starting to become a skill in my faith as well. Kayla Fuller-Willis joins me on today's podcast. She is the Director of Discipleship and Connections at Restoration Church in Roanoke, Virginia, and also serves as a Young Life leader, both with experience on the high school and college levels. So when she's not forming authentic friendships during her day job, she's doing the same on her downtime with activities such as captaining a winning local kickball team and many more fun activities. Plus, I get the honor of calling her my sister-in-law. So It's a pleasure to introduce you to Kayla and to learn more about her 10-year experiment of having more intentional questions to lead towards more authentic relationships. So enjoy this conversation with my guest and sister-in-law, Kayla Willis. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. So we're sitting here in the woods at a state park, Grayson Highlands, for a family vacation. And I said, Kayla, I've got a super secret agenda. I want you to be on the podcast. (laughs) Always with the super secret agendas. Yeah. Well, as the audience will soon appreciate that you uh, have a lot of great stories to share, and I'm excited to get into it. And one of the ways I like to start off the episode is by sharing how the guest has provided for me. So sit back, relax, and let me tell a tale. Okay. So the story that comes to my mind, many could come to mind, of course, as I have the pleasure of being family now with you. But I have to say, the story of me being full of adrenaline and secretly leaving the Raleigh-Durham area and traveling to where you and your big sister, my wife, grew up so that I could ask for her hand in marriage was a story that came to my mind about how you provided for me because, as I mentioned, I had this, yet again, a super secret agenda, and that was to ask your sister to marry me. But I didn't tell your sister, and I didn't tell your parents I was coming, so I just decided to go. (laughs) And fortunately for me, I show up at your mom's house, and I'm hoping to ask her permission, but in my zeal, I neglect to think that it's actually during the working hours, during the work week, and that your mom's probably not there. But fortunately, you were. So you answered the door. And uh, what do you remember about that moment? I remember being shocked. And I think that you had flowers. And so I think that I had remembered that Amy was annoyed because you weren't hanging out with her that day. And I had talked to her on the phone. And she said that you were sick. And she didn't know why that you didn't want her to help take care of you or something like that. And so I was very surprised when I opened the door. But as one could suspect, I kind of knew maybe what was coming. So it was kind of a secret honor also, as well as a secret agenda to be the first one to be asked. And then I got to kind of send you off to go see mom and dad, too. And that's how you provided for me. You gave me permission to marry your sister. That was a moment. (laughs) And, And not only that, but yeah, I didn't know where your mom and dad were. So they were at work. <laughs> and I didn't know, I didn't like where they were. It's very zealous. <laughs> Just going for it. No plan. So I had to ask Auntie Kayla, how do I get to your parents' workplaces? And I just went there. And uh, fortunately, your mom was there and your dad wasn't. And I just had to wait. 
But if it wasn't for you, who knows? We wouldn't be on this family vacation. I don't know what would have happened. So thank you for providing yes, for me. Yes, of course. You're welcome. <laughs> it's been a journey. It has been a journey. So, so I'm excited. So gosh, so for the audience to know a little bit about your background, you are involved in a ministry called Young Life. Uh, you work for a church in the Roanoke area and you have a heart for people. And I thought, how cool would it be to kind of reflect on how you get the energy to engage in so many relationships, do that both professionally as well as just for fun and what you like doing. And so I asked you to think about a question of a person or a moment that just stands out to you as providing for you. And let's start the conversation there, if you don't mind. Okay, great. Yeah. So I think what came to mind and when you were asking me your prompting questions was actually my commitment to asking intentional questions of people. And I think that in high school, I was very competitive, as I still am very competitive. But my life was all about being the best in sports, being the best in school. And <laughs> I really accomplished that, not to toot my own horn, but I was homecoming queen and I was valedictorian and I was the president of like three clubs. And I remember getting to the end of high school and I graduated. And I remember thinking that none of that really mattered now, that I would go into college and no one would know about any of those accomplishments and no one would really care. And so I'd wasted a lot of time on something that I felt like was so important in the moment. And I went to college with just this new passion of trying to figure out what was really important in life. And so at Roanoke College, in my reflection in the summer before, I decided, one, that I shouldn't take on any leadership positions <laughs> uh, my first year, and two, that relationships were going to be one of my main things that I held dear in college. And I, as you are very zealous, went a little overboard. And the first night of college, I remember asking my roommate, Kim Harrison, if she wanted to meet every single person in our freshman building. And so it was like after dinner, 7 p.m. And I was like, we're going to do this. Let's meet every single person. And so it was a little bit before everyone had smartphones and people were less weirded out by you just showing up unannounced. But we knocked on every single door in Marion and introduced ourselves. And we slowly just got a gaggle of people. And by the end of our little Marion freshman dorm tour, there were probably 10 to 15 people just kind of going along with us. And I think that that was a moment that I realized that a lot of people are lonely, but not a lot of people know what to do with that. And that was just a really cool accidental thing that was really about me. Like I was selfish in that moment. I wanted friends and I wanted relationships, but I got to see into just a window of other people's lives that they were just sitting in their dorm room on the first night of college, not knowing what to do. And then as far as a person goes, I went to the Roanoke College Activities Fair and I knew I wanted to become involved in a Christian organization. I knew that that was going to be important for my college career, that I had kind of put Jesus in a box during high school, that I, I was following Christ and was excited about Jesus, but only if he impacted like Sundays and Wednesdays, not my entire life. And so I knew that that kind of had to change in college, that I wanted Jesus to be more part of my life. So 
I just wandered through the activities fair. It looks a lot like an image from the movie Pitch Perfect where everyone's trying to come up to you and offer you flyers and free cups and things. And so I found InterVarsity, which you were involved in at Rona College. And I also found this organization called Young Life that I had never heard of. And Jeff Lakin was the area director and he's still the area director. And he was very out of place there, to be honest. Like he's this like 45 year old man with this white goatee. And he was just very joyful and just joked around with me. And somehow just with him and other people, I continued to come back to Young Life. And I got involved with a small group. And they told me that it was a leadership development small group. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to take on any leadership roles. So I was very hesitant. They're like, no, no, no. Like, you're going to be great. This will be good for you. So I did that. And now looking back, I realized it was leadership training to become a Young Life leader. And I didn't understand that because I didn't know the organization that Young Life is. And so basically... At the end of it, they started to explain more about what Young Life does and what Young Life is. And Young Life's main goal is to introduce adolescents to Christ and help them grow in their faith. And so Jeff now is still the area director. And so we have been friends for about 10 years. And he has really helped show me, I think, like what's important in life, that the whole messaging of the world is it's all about you. It's all about your success. It's all about your growth. And the message of the kingdom of God is it's about God and giving him glory and also about others and laying down your own life and serving others and loving other people. And so through a lot of conversations with him, that's really how he's provided for me is by kind of showing me what life with the Lord is and a life of sacrifice and a life of true deep relationships where we're interested in other people's growth and other people's journey as well as our own. I bet that message really resonated with you because here you are as a type A personality, as you mentioned, achieving everything that you wanted to achieve, including, let's reflect on the fact of not only were you homecoming queen, but you also were the state champion wrestler, right? I... (laughs) was not the state champion wrestler. I was a girl on the boys wrestling team and I did place first in girls states. So I didn't go all the way in the high school wrestling world in first place in state, but I was a wrestler in high school. That's amazing. And it just goes to show kind of the renaissance personality and experience that you had there. And going back to the Young Life message about how it's not just about your self-achievement, but about the kingdom of God, I bet that message resonated with you then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that that was the answer to the question that I didn't know that I was asking of what is important in life and what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why do I have the talents that I do? And so I was able through that journey to kind of see that the Lord has created us each with a purpose, each with our own gifts to kind of fulfill a role in the body of Christ. So just to take a step back, The negative of all that achievement you said was you got to the end of high school and you said, gosh, you know, I'm going to go to college. And it's like, actually doesn't matter. And you said relationships do. What were some of the fruits from doing everything you did with such excellence in high school? Like, how did that actually help you? Because you said the things that hurt was maybe your mindset of focusing on that. What were the positive things that came from that dedication and self-discipline and achievement, if anything, that comes to mind of now that you've had a little time to not only worry about the self-development or focus on the self-development, but also think about more holistically and being intentional. What are some of the fruits of that? 
I think what I did wasn't necessarily harmful. It was the why. And so I think that the why is always what we need to be looking at. Like, why am I doing this? What's my motivation? So the what I did was actually really fun. Like I got a lot of really fun experiences with wrestling, with sports. I learned how to be part of a team. And I also learned how to learn and how to love learning and how to be competitive with myself and how to challenge myself. So I think that that's followed through in the rest of my life of always how to get better and how to kind of achieve that next step. Like, not that I'm never content, but always looking for the next move. Yeah. The love of learning is that's got to be one of those top characters of traits that you have. I can see that. And then so you take that, you take this experience of high school and you say, okay, let me try to be different in college. You go through college with this desire to be more focused on relationships, take a step back from leadership. You still had that ambition and that confidence to go door to door, knock on the doors and meet everyone that you did, which is such a great story because a lot of us in college that first night, especially, it's a very overwhelming feeling. And so is that just part of your personality type or did you have to psych yourself up to say like, I'm doing this as the first night, I'm going to set an example for myself. What was that decision like for you of saying, hey, Rumi, let's go door to door? Yeah, I think it might be just part of my personality, but maybe there was a moment earlier in life where this happened. But I think that I just don't care a lot what other people think about me or what their first perspectives are. I talked a lot about asking intentional questions earlier and my roommate Alina that I lived with last time before I got married to my roommate Alina that I lived with before I got married. The first time I met her, I just asked her rapid fire questions about her life because I wanted to get to know her. And she's kind of a more closed off personality. And she finally, after answering like six questions, like, Kayla, who are you? What are you doing? And I think that I just things pop in my head and I just go with it. Like, I feel like I don't know where that filter fell off in life of fear of what other people might think. But I think that that holds a lot of people back, that they might be embarrassed or that people might think less of them. But I just want to have fun and meet people and form relationships with people. And I don't want things to hold me back from that. So I just kind of roll with it. So you've made this decision to do that. And it's almost like an experiment college, it sounds like. Well, let me let me do that. How'd that experiment go? Not just the first year, but throughout your college experience. With that dedication to relationships and intentional questions. Yeah, I think that college was really fun. I wouldn't say that it's the best years of my life. I think that that's a lie that our culture says. I loved uh, my years after college, too. But I did eventually become a Young Life leader, which was funny because I swore I wasn't going to take on leadership positions. But I really felt that was something that the Lord called me into. So I became a Young Life leader at Salem High School and did ministry there for five years and got to form relationships with a lot of high schoolers. And that was really sweet and really challenging. And I also got to form a ton of relationships on the college campus and really felt like even though that my life looked different, maybe from the typical college student, that instead of Friday nights going to a sorority cocktail, I was going to a high school football game to meet high school freshmen and befriend them so I can mentor them and walk through life with them. I really loved my life of purpose, and I loved having an answer to that why question of why I'm doing things, not just floating through uh, my college existence. And so when I graduated college, I think that I wanted to kind of 
fall back into what was easy, kind of flowing out of what everyone else is doing. Move to a new city, figure out what you're doing, figure out what your next adventure is. But I really felt like the Lord was calling me to stay in Roanoke and Salem so that I could not just go wide with a bunch of people, but so I could go really deep with people. And so I continued to go to the same church that I went to when I was in college, and I continued to meet with our pastor and some of the other people in our church. And a year after I graduated, I was working as the director of communications for a a nonprofit, the Virginia Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And I started feeling like I wanted to finish out my two-year contract and then move on to something else. And I didn't know what that was. And so then over lunch one day, my pastor, now boss, started asking me a lot of strange questions like, what do you think are your greatest weaknesses and your greatest strengths? How do you feel like you work under pressure? I said, Josh, I feel like this is a lot like a job interview. And he was like, yeah, it really is a job interview. We would like to hire you eventually. And so that started my journey into being on staff at a church. And so I didn't plan on working for a church. I didn't plan on leading Young Life for 10 years because that's how long I've been a Young Life leader. I now lead Young Life at a college level. But I feel like I ask intentional questions of other people to help them work through their why and work through their identity. But I think I've also started to be better at asking intentional questions of the Lord and asking him where he wants me and how long he wants me and what conversations to even enter into. So I think that my journey started with asking intentional questions of other people that I met just to get to know them. But I think it's starting to become a skill in my faith as well. So do you ever find yourself asking those intentional questions to yourself? And if so, what are your go-to questions that you challenge yourself with? Yeah, it's really funny. So I just got back from a mission trip to Guatemala with a group of 10. And I asked a couple people a few questions, and then they turned around and asked them to me. And I realized that I often ask people questions that I wish that people were asking me that I'm still currently processing through myself because I'm such an external processor And so I do ask myself those questions, but it also helps me verbalize what I'm thinking about and what I'm processing through. And so I think that maybe that's also another motivation for asking good questions is I've realized that that's how my mind works, that I think that we're not meant to do life alone. And so we're meant to be in community. And so it helps me process things that I'm going through, process things I'm thinking about when I'm talking with other people. And so I maybe think about them for myself, but I don't finish processing them until I talk them out, which is why one of the reasons it's great to be married, because I get a sounding for it all the time with my sweet husband, and he's an internal processor. So that has been quite a learning curve for me to try to figure out new ways that people process things. But one of my recent questions, I feel like I have different questions for each phase of life, but one of my favorite questions right now is what's something that you're processing that you don't have an answer to yet. And so that leads to a lot of really great conversations because then you get things like, oh, I'm processing the death of my dad, or I'm processing, is God really good right now? Or I'm processing 
some different theological questions that are in our culture right now that don't really have a right or wrong answer, but everyone pretends like they have a right or wrong answer. And so I think that one question really opens the door to deeper conversations with people that they don't even know that they need to be having. Hmm. And well, I heard something in a business book, and I think it might relate to this. You tell me if you if you resonate with this. It's that what we hold value, the opposite really angers us. So what I'm assuming is that since you hold value, intentional conversations, thoughtful questions, if you're in a networking event or a wedding and people are, are like not engaged in real talk, I bet that really frustrates you. Yeah, I think that I categorized myself for so long as an extrovert, and I do think I'm an extrovert, but I have really realized that that surface level conversations really exhaust me, that I can be around a room of 100 people And if I'm just having like, where did you go to college? What did you major in type of conversations? I leave that night exhausted, but I can talk through someone's life story and how they came to Christ and what some trauma was that they dealt with in their past. And I just feel more fully alive, I think, in that moment. Even last night I was at a wedding and, you know, we're on family vacation. I sneak away for a wedding. That is typical. And I sat next to one of the bridesmaids. It was their date and started talking. And we ended up talking about how his dad had had a stroke and how he had become one of his primary caregivers. And I left feeling like I knew him as a person, not just as a convenience. And that's one of the things that I love is I love being able to see people as people, not just as a convenience, a conversation for that moment that's very fleeting. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about one side of the coin, asking the intentional questions and what you just mentioned about really leaning into their story is the other side of that coin. And that's, yeah, to listen. I mean, like, what's the point of, like, you know, that feeling of if someone's just peppering you with questions and then they're not actually listening, then you think, wait a second, this isn't a good blend. But you do both where you have these different questions that you really care about. And then you have to actually listen and care or that person is just going to feel kind of used, right? Yeah. And so how did you develop the other trait? Because I think it's important for people that might be a lot more shy and wouldn't categorize themselves as this, but they think, oh, yeah, it would be so much more life-giving if during those events, or even just in the day-to-day mundane moments of life, that they can enjoy a lot more by asking more intentional questions and actively listening. What are your thoughts on active listening and how have you improved in that? Yeah. I think that that's a skill that people can learn, much like leadership. I think that we have this false narrative that leadership is something that people inherently possess. But as you know, and through all of your leadership books that you're always learning, people can become really great leaders because it's a learned skill. And I think that's the same thing with conversation and intentional questions and active listening. I think that I have always been very curious about people and about the world, but I wouldn't say that I was necessarily very good at acting on that. I think that I had a lot of good models in early college. And one of them was uh, my friend, Lindsay Rook, who still lives in Salem. She was a young life leader when she was in college and now has kids, but she led a Bible study that I was in when I was in college. And she would invite college girls over to her house while she cooked. She took us grocery shopping, just normal everyday things. But she would ask us really, honestly, maybe too personal of questions while we were doing things. And I was really uncomfortable with that at first. But then I realized that 
it was really helpful for my own personal development. And I realized that it made me feel really loved and really seen. And so I had that example first before I ever started my journey from Lindsay. Then I feel like I've kind of copied some of her questions and other people's questions. Young Life really is all about, it's called incarnational ministry, where we believe that Jesus came down to earth to be a human, to live among us, where we come out of our everyday life and model Jesus, where we come into other people's worlds. And so Young Life has been a really great inspiration of asking good questions and getting to know people. But there are also classes, like I have taken some communications classes through my undergrad, but also, as you mentioned earlier, I'm in seminary and I've taken some really great classes there. Pete Scazzaro, he has a ton of books all about emotional health. And a lot of listening and conversation is a lot of emotional health. And like I said earlier, trying to figure out how the world's not about you. And so a lot of times, and I catch myself doing this all the time, a lot of times people listen by bringing the conversation back to them and their experience and telling a story similar to what you just mentioned. And I don't know why we do that. We think that it's relating, but it's not. It's hijacking a conversation and saying, I know what you said happened, but it wasn't important. My experience is more important. And so I think that learning to listen to the voice in your head that wants to say things, but then quieting it for a second and taking a moment and processing what the other person said, not to respond, but to understand and really understanding and asking clarifying questions and having moments of silence. I think that in our culture, we're very uncomfortable with silence, especially after questions are asked. And those are some of my favorite moments. I love to just ask a question. Um, One of my favorite questions also is, what do you think Jesus is teaching you in life right now? And so that's something that not a lot of people have processed or have thought about. And so I love to just ask a question like that and just remain silent. And the temptation in those moments is to talk or to share a story about your life or to help prompt them and say like, oh, I've seen you grow in this area, but to just remain silent and let it be awkward. I love awkwardness because I think that it leads to growth because people are inspired to kind of go within themselves a little bit and say something because no one else is going to fill that space in that conversation. And it sounds like because you mentioned you don't care about what they think, yeah. it's okay to like yeah, be in that okay. awkward position of, yeah. you know, just like, let me just let this question Let's sit. Let's just hang a little bit. <laughs> Let's just chill out. And I giggle a lot, but I won't say anything. <laughs> uh, another question I wanted to ask you was, what intentional decisions have you made in your life mm-hmm. that have had a positive return on investment? You mentioned the commitment to relationships and questions and listening. Is there anything else that you have done in your professional or personal life thus far that you just reflect on to say, you know what, this was the easy path or this was the expected path. And I surprised maybe even myself to do something different, to be intentional in this way. And wow, it really worked out. Is there a moment that stands out to you with that? I think that there's a lot of small moments. I think looking back to my high school career where I was very competitive, I was very driven by large moments. 
And I had all these dreams of becoming Katie Couric and becoming famous. And I think that my journey has taught me that the intentional decisions are in a lot of small moments. And so I think that I've made intentional decisions to not quit on people and to not quit ministry and to not quit where I feel like the Lord is calling me, even when it's hard, um, but also even when even when it's hard, but also even when like there are easier paths, where there are easier paths to make more money or make more success or have people think highly of you. So I think those small decisions to continue pursuing a relationship, even when that person is not turning their life around or not having breakthroughs or not responding to any of your messages even. So continue pursuing people and continuing to just continue, really. That's, I think, the intentional decisions that I've made is deciding to continue where God is calling me even when things are hard and things aren't profitable in the immediate future for me. And that seems very real because even as you're reflecting on not quoting on people, like I could tell that was heavy on your heart. Yeah. My yeah, my sister's sister cry a lot. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Didn't know that was coming. Whew. I'm like Amy and I can't talk when I cry, so I have to breathe in for a second. As a side note, my sister could not give my toast at my wedding because she, when she cries, she can't get words out. And so Justin had to provide for me and my sister and take her speech from her and read the entire speech. But it was still in the voice as if Justin were my sister. And so <laughs> that was a comical moment of tears. I think that Jonathan, my husband, and I have just been talking about, gosh, I don't know where those emotions are coming from, but that's always, that's one of my fun questions too, is when people are crying, say, hey, where do you think these emotions are coming from? <laughs> oh. And so now I reflect on that. But I think that, I think it's hard to to keep going, even when it's hard. And so that's something that, oh, um, that's something that we've been talking a lot about recently like before we have kids what our priorities are and um that's one of our priorities is ministry and not quitting and relationships and friendships and how for a lot of young married couples it's so easy to kind of hole up and have your early 20s and your college life be like when you do ministry and when you're in Bible studies and when you're in Christian community and then once you get married, maybe you're still in a small group. But then um, at least where we feel like the life phase we're in is my husband's 31 and I'm 29. And so we feel like we kind of judge people with kids earlier in life. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, these people are so awesome. Why are they like dropping out of ministry? And now we are, don't even have kids yet. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get it because it's really hard. <laughs> so I think that just continuing, I think it, it just reminds me of the financial rule that you talk about where you talk about 
deciding what your giving rule is when you're making a little bit of money. You say like whatever percentage wise you want to give, maybe it's 10 percent and start doing that when you're in college, maybe your first year out of college so that it becomes just part of your life where you give away 10%. And so if it's 10% of $100 in college, you feel like that's a lot. (laughs) And you're like, looking back, you're like, Oh, my gosh, that was only $10 that I was giving up. But that is a lot of food at sheets, you know. And so if you give 10% of that, and then you get used to it, when you're 30, when you're 40, and you're giving 10%, it's just part of your life. And so I feel like giving our life away with our time and with our relational energy has been kind of like that for us where I really just need my crying voice to go. I'm also very tired. So the emotions come out when I'm tired. I feel like that giving our life away and giving our time away has been a lot like that for us where we both individually before we got married decided that making disciples and helping people understand their identity in Christ was a really big priority for us when we had just a ton of free time. And so that was a priority then. And so I think we have to kind of re-up each life phase and you have to re-up your priorities. Just like when you get a raise at your job, you have to kind of re-up your commitment to give 10%. And so I think that we're kind of at that line in our life where we're talking about starting to have kids and what like that, that next life phase looks like. And so that giving our life away, giving our time away, giving our our space away, our like home and letting people live in our home is still a priority no matter what life or phase we're in. And so just asking the Lord, okay, like what does it look like in this life phase for us? to continue to have this be a priority, even though it's hard, even though it takes a lot of relational time and a lot of a lot of mental and emotional energy away where we don't get to spend time together or we don't get to spend time with our friends our age as much, but understanding that there is an investment in the kingdom that's important. And we do have a beautiful marriage where we are truly teammates in this purpose, not just having fun, not just living on that surface level of life. We get to have really hard, deep conversations because we're partners in ministry as well as in marriage. Well, I appreciate you showing some emotion because I think it helps the audience relate to, wow, it's really hard to go deep in relationships while it sounds fun and exciting to be engaging conversationalists and to have deep relationships. Yeah, thank you for just being honest to say there's a lot of weightiness that comes with it as well because you care so much about these people's stories now. And it's not like you hold that in a way that you don't appreciate it. So thanks for modeling that. Yeah, and I think that there, I think one of the things I've had to learn is There is a balance between listening and caring really deeply and carrying other people's burdens. I know that a lot of people have trauma in their life. And so once you start asking those questions, that comes out if you're really listening. Because some people have never had other people listen to them before. And so it's very easy to feel like you're responsible for them or 
you're responsible for fixing them or providing the right answers. And so I think that that's one thing that I've been on a journey and I don't have it figured out perfectly, but but releasing things to the Lord and constantly reminding myself and reminding yourself if you want to enter into deep conversations that I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not in charge of healing other people. I'm not in charge of speaking the perfect words to other people. And so that's kind of been my mantra over the last 10 years probably is I'm not the Holy Spirit. Like I've got to release this to the Lord because I'm not responsible for the other person. I am here and I'm a vessel to be used by the Lord, but I can't fix other people. And so I can't continue to carry every other one's burdens through life. Yeah. I'm excited about this conversation because I feel like we're getting 10 years worth of experience into just this small conversation because because what you've done is you've just outlined, hey, I made an intentional decision to after high school to say, I'm going, I'm going deep with people. I focus on myself and I rocked it out. <laughs> I did all these things <laughs> and I want to go deep with people. And by the way, you did that. Plus you were summa cum laude at <laughs> Rona College. So it wasn't as if you just like, yeah, I mean, I didn't tracks. give up <laughs> academics. I still love school. But, but I, I really do feel like this has been such a valuable conversation because over a 10 year period, you just helped synthesize this experiment of, I want to ask intentional questions and here's what I've learned. There's a lot that people want to share and that I've got to be actively listening and it's going to be heavy and I need to be ready for that. And then to have that last piece that was just so beautifully said of, hey, I I can't carry their burden. Mm-hmm. Right. And even though you want to, because now you're you're in deep with them. Right. And so, yeah, thanks for giving us the highlights of this 10 year investment into yourself for us to say, now I think I know what I'm stepping into a little bit more rather than just this kind of rose colored glasses of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to ask questions and, and you know everything's going to be great. I just really appreciate that. Thanks. I, I didn't know this is where we were going to go in the conversation. Me it was going to be beautiful though. <laughs> so as we begin to wrap up, I would love to ask you, how do you provide for yourself? And this is probably the hardest question that a lot of the guests have to answer, but I appreciate it when they do give it a thoughtful answer. Everyone that's on the podcast, I've got a story of how they provide for me because that's just what they do in a variety of ways. And it's so fun. And I love having, this is my version of intentional conversations, right? It gives me the excuse of asking questions that might be awkward unless you're on a podcast. And so as you reflect on, whew, you do a lot for others, personally, professionally, in all aspects, as we've had a chance to just touch on here, what are ways that you're trying to provide for yourself now? Yeah, I think that this is something that I really had to wrestle through after college, particularly. I think that in college, like, it's an inherently selfish time, right? Like, people are telling you, like, take time to figure out what you're passionate about and, and what you want to do. And so you have spaces to process. Like, I had a whole class where we had to write short writings on what was going on in our minds. Like, you don't get that as often. I mean, I work for a church, so I'm lucky and I do. But I think... I felt very selfish the first two years out of college taking any time for myself. And I think that that is a really toxic narrative in the Christian culture, in the cultural Christian culture in America, that you've always got to be producing, that you've always got to be on, that you've always got to be doing things for others. And I really lived into that the first two years out of college. And so I think the biggest way that I've learned to provide for myself is taking a Sabbath every week. And I'm not perfect with that, but 
Mondays are my day off and it would be a lot easier for me to take my day off on Friday. And so then I could have Friday and Saturday as a two-day weekend and I could travel more or things like that. But I intentionally take Mondays off and as a time to provide for myself where I sometimes see family, I sometimes see some friends that give me life, but I don't do anything that feels like pouring out to other people, which sounds, again, sounds selfish, but the Lord rested on the seventh day when he was creating things, not out of a selfish need, but just to enjoy, I think, creation and to say that it was good and it was out of contentment. And so I think that I've realized that we are supposed to Sabbath, whatever that looks like for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a whole day. I need structure in my life. And so I need it to be a day. And I take that day to sleep in, to read. I do love learning. And so my schoolwork, while sometimes it's annoying, actually does give me a lot of life to just like take time to learn things and think about things. And I journal and spend time with the Lord. And I work outside and I play kickball sometimes. And so that I think is the biggest way that I've learned to provide for myself is providing time in my schedule to Sabbath and to be with the Lord and to do things to enjoy the life that he's given me and to enjoy creation and friendship and to just be and not have to be producing all of the time. And it's so appropriate. Here we are in nature on family vacation enjoying this. Thank you for taking time to out of your vacation to do my super secret <laughs> agenda and get you on the podcast. I'm really excited about the conversation we've had and taking a lot from it myself. Was there anything that I didn't give you a chance to reflect on that you wanted to, or is there a last word of encouragement you want to leave our listeners with here? One of the things that I want people to do, I guess, is to reflect on hard questions so that they can start asking them. I think one of the things that has allowed me to ask hard questions is the willingness to answer them when they're turned around on me. Because so oftentimes people do turn that question around. And I don't always have an answer because like I said earlier, I'm a verbal processor. But I've realized that vulnerability is a gift that we get to give to other people. And vulnerability begets vulnerability or vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so when we're able to do that in a healthy way, not dumping emotionally, but sharing our lives, that's a gift that we get to give people. And then that inspires other people to look inside themselves and be vulnerable with others. So I guess that would be my encouragement is for people to get vulnerable and not care what other people think and be comfortable with that. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect. Mm -hmm.